Hey guys, uh, no, it's been a little bit of time since we last spoke, uh, and apologies for the absence. Um, kind of took a little bit of an impromptu break there, uh, and let's just call that the end of season one, I guess. Um, wedding planning, the wedding itself, quickly moved into PhD deadlines, uh, a busy training camp, quickly into an in-season uh, full semester period, so definitely had a lot going on. Um, but as my schedule kind of normalizes and stabilizes here, really excited to start bringing you season two of the podcast. I know I say this a lot, but definitely have some fantastic guests lined up these next coming weeks. Uh, some real leaders in the field of sports nutrition, which is really exciting, uh, which promises to deliver you guys a whole bunch of valuable content. And uh, today's episode is definitely the perfect example of that. Um, so yeah, if you have any feedback or suggestions for me with the new season, uh, please feel free to hit me up, any social media platform, LinkedIn, email me directly, definitely open to anything that you may have uh, to continue kind of bringing you value moving forward. So um, yeah, let's kick start season two and I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Performance Nutrition Files podcast. I'm super excited to kick off uh, season two this evening with a good friend of mine, uh, someone who I've wanted to get on here for a little while, and uh, definitely no better way to kick off a new season. Uh, so tonight I'm joined by Isaac Moria. Isaac, how are you doing, mate? Hey, Charlie, I'm good. Um, I really appreciate you bringing me on here. Uh, I'm a big fan of your work and know we've, we've known each other for a little while here so i'm really excited to get this going mate i will uh, i will venmo you when we get off here i appreciate the kind <laughs> words um isaac we we go back a couple of years um you know it's been great to kind of see your transition in your career involve, evolve um anyone who maybe doesn't know who you are can you just kind of give a brief introduction a little bit of history on yourself and your background yeah, so um, I'm currently uh, the Director of Performance Nutrition and Sports Science at Impact Basketball here in Las Vegas, um, and also a performance nutrition consultant with the Sacramento Kings. Um, as, as all the listeners will be able to hear, I'm also a, a fellow Brit. Um, I came over a couple of years ago, but most of my background and experiences um, come from over there. You know, all my education uh, happened over there, and really the the piece that ties all of my history together is is my basketball career, really. Um, I have a background in professional basketball, which which really tied together all the different stops along the way, uh, all the educational pieces, which which allowed me to get to where I am now. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really me in a, in a nutshell. Um, and I know we're going to expand a little further on that here. Awesome. And uh, it was Leeds Beckett, right? That's where you went to school? Yeah, so I did uh, both my undergraduate and my master's degree at Leeds Beckett, um, undergraduate in sport and exercise science. Uh, and then went on and did my master's in sport and exercise nutrition. Um, I really can't speak highly enough of those programs there. Um, you know, again, that that all came from my basketball career, signing that that contract with a professional team in, in the city there, and then really being the beneficiary of some excellent researchers and excellent lecturers there that, that took me under their wing and I could really learn from. Yeah, great program. Uh, highly, highly recommended. Um, that was actually where... I had kind of pulled the trigger to go to do my master's too. And then kind of pulled the plug uh, about a week before and moved out here instead and uh, still here. So funny how that works out, but speak to me a little bit about the professional basketball career, kind of speak about that journey. Uh, again, we have quite a lot of us listeners and I'm, I'm sure a lot of them 
believe that basketball doesn't exist outside of the U.S. So speak a little bit about that. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, you know, the version of basketball that people know here in the States is is very different than than back home for sure. But nevertheless, there's a there's a rich culture there and, and something that I could buy into from from a young age. And it was something that that really kept me engaged and, and gave me focus, you know, throughout the entire duration of my career. And really it started probably later than normal, 14 or 15. And it happened that, you know, my PE teacher um, had a background in, in basketball and he was running a basketball club and basically spotted me being a, a taller kid. And I just picked it up super quick. Uh, like many people back home, I started off in football or soccer for our American listeners here. Um, but it didn't come as naturally, you know, so within, Within one year of picking up a basketball, I was playing for my county. And, you know, within no time, it was regional and, and kind of progressed from there. Um, so throughout those years, you know, it kind of took me to different places, um, took me to different places in, in the UK as I went through my educational journey and then also out to the States as well. So I spent one year uh, at a prep school in Maryland here. Um, and then after that, you know, I kind of went back and, and signed for a team back home in Leeds. Um, like I had said earlier, which which entered me into this this sport and exercise science uh, undergrad, and allowed me to to really gain experience from both sides of it. Right, I learned as a as a researcher first, as a practitioner after that, and then you know found ways to to tie that into myself as a professional athlete, and and really had access to an amazing cohort of professional athletes that I could gather data on. So when it came to to doing my research projects, to doing my major independent studies. I had an amazing cohort of, of professional athletes I could work with. Um, and that was so, so valuable, you know? So after finishing, um, finishing my master's degree there, I also uh, went over into, into kind of mainland Europe there. I signed with a couple of different teams in Germany and played professionally over there for a little bit. Um, and during that time, I really utilized that period to, to really branch out my own private practice stuff and started working with, you know, professional teams and athletes on a consultancy basis whilst I was playing. Um, and I just, you know, at that point, I had a very a critical juncture where I could carry on playing and doing my consultancy stuff. Or, you know, this, this opportunity came knocking that I'd been wishing for for a long time to come over here and, and take a position uh, in the States at the University of Georgia. Um, so that was a very difficult um, decision to really transition out of, of my life on the court, my comfort zone there, and, and really taking a leap of faith uh, over the pond and, and stepping into this this situation yeah that's uh that's awesome again I've, I've known you known you a few years now but it's kind of cool to hear how that came about but speak speak a little bit about that transition to the u.s you know how you landed that role at georgia uh, i'm sure you probably have a lot of people back in the uk that kind of ask you how you went about seeking and finding that role and a little bit about your experiences of working in collegiate sport yeah, um, I think I think really it just came down to to me just being relentless. To be honest, um, you know, you hear especially playing basketball. You know, it's, we tend to gravitate towards this this collegiate setting uh, where we see you know the resources, we see the the attention that's placed on that, and it was always always a goal of mine to reach there in in some capacity. And it came down to me just being you know, relentless in, in my approach to this networking with as many people as possible. As you remember, you were, you were the beneficiary of that, that relentless networking of me trying to, trying to figure out my way of getting over there. Um, so really it came from, from applying for, I want to say probably close to a hundred different jobs um, of all capacities and, and ultimately getting rejected from a lot of them. 
for a number of reasons. Um, you know, as a as an international person um, coming over here, there's a lot of kind of obstacles that you have to navigate around and and ways to be creative and and figure out how to get myself in front of these people and how to really convince them that that I was the person for the job and that I was someone that was really going to come in and 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 make it worth their while. Um, so yeah, that opportunity was was maybe application one hundred and one, you know. Um, and I got a response that they were that they were interested in in bringing me over at the University of Georgia, and I just jumped at it. You know, it's um, and from there it, it escalated. It was uh, Jana Heitmeyer, who's still a huge mentor for me. Um, you know, she she took a risk on me that I'll be kind of forever grateful for, and and allowed me that opportunity to come in. And it was like as soon as I got there, my my eyes were just open. You know. Um, it was resources I'd never seen before, sports I'd never worked with. And it was really a, a pivotal moment in my career and a pivotal moment in my life where things changed very quickly and, and kind of the momentum of where I was going changed very quickly. Um, so it was, it was a, a true blessing and, and something that's, that I will, I'll always be grateful for the staff there, but, but something that I'm so blessed to have the, the opportunity to have done. So what, what sports did you have the opportunity to work with at Georgia? So the main team that I worked with, I worked with four or five different sports, but the one that probably required the most attention was baseball, um, which was interesting because, you know, for me, I had no idea about baseball. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know the culture. Um, I really didn't know anything about it. So for me, that was a, an area of, of stepping out of my, my bubble of my comfort zone of being in basketball for so long. And then, you know, learning all these things about this American sport that I didn't know so much about. So baseball was a big one for me in terms of a change of culture. And then, you know, other teams involved were, were, were teams that I had had some experience with and were familiar with at least. Some swimming and dive stuff, some, some volleyball, uh, women's golf, and of course, doing some help with the, with the basketball programs there as well. Um, but it really allowed me to have, to create a holistic approach to my, to my coaching here. Um, as a performance nutritionist and, and really learn how to be creative of how to reach different athletes in different sports. Um, and before I could really rely on my, you know, my sports jargon with the, the way that I interact with guys from being a basketball guy. And now I had to be a little bit more creative about, you know, using my emotional intelligence to be able to, to reach people and, and, and get them to, to change their behaviors, to get them to buy into the program in different ways. Yeah, and I think that's a valuable talking point, right? You hear a lot um, from people with way more experience than you and I in this field about getting opportunities and getting hands-on, even if that's not maybe the sport or the environment that you're truly set on and ultimately want to work in because it does teach you a lot of skills and a lot of them are transferable and you can take away to other sports. And it's a different way of, you know, maybe doing things and kind of gaining um you know, just a different perspective and insight, because again, every sport is different, as you mentioned, kind of culture and habits. And um, again, I think you see that a lot uh, for people that listen to like the Pacey performance podcast, you know, a lot of those guys who are getting um, performance director roles and been in the field a while, a lot of their experiences have come from a wide range of sports and they may be at a very high level in a sport down, but their prior prior experiences don't seem to exclude those opportunities it's not like you have to be a guy in that sport to get those opportunities so I think that's a really valuable uh, lesson there yeah I think 
I think with that that point in mind, it's it's so important to be able to think outside the box, isn't it? Um, to be able to consider, you know, even now when I'm just working exclusively with with basketball players, I'm drawing upon my experiences that where I grew with the the swim and dive team, where I grew with the baseball team, and you know, different ways of communication and different ways of navigating things, which which I still use to this day. And like you said, there are people with many, many, many more years of experience, and I have plenty more years to go, but even in these last couple of years, it's been a huge growth period and, and finding ways to, to bring this kind of well-rounded approach to my, my quite specialized practice now has been super valuable. And how long were you at Georgia for? So I was at Georgia for probably just under a year. Um, I was kind of right up until the pandemic hit, to be honest. Um, so at that time point, um, this is when I, I was approached or when this situation with, with Impact Basketball came around. Um, and it was, it was a, a time where it was, I have to take this job right now um, before the world closes down or, you know, I risk waiting and it, and it not happening. Um, so the intent was to be there for an entire year. Um, but just due to a couple of different circumstances, um, it meant leaving, leaving a little bit earlier and, and taking this move over to Las Vegas. So speak a little bit about that transition. How was it going from that collegiate environment, something that probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with, and we've had some guests on before. So hopefully, even if you're not too familiar, you kind of have an understanding of it and making that transition to, I guess, more of a training center where you're kind of dialing down a little more specialized in a single sport. Yeah, well, I think the key there is one, the age of the athletes that you're dealing with. Um, but then you know, it's about the longevity of the time that you work with them as well. You know, when you have a team um, in the collegiate setting, you see them, you know, every single day for, you know, probably four years for a lot of those, those guys there. Um, so you can spend time getting to know them, tracking their, their habits, seeing how things are changing. Um, and in a, in a performance center setting, you know, you may only have them for, for a month until they, they get a job and they're out of there. Um, I think the other the other thing that really stood out to me as well is, you know, you're not dealing with so much outside noise as well. In a in a performance setting, you know, I work with the with the agents, with um, with different kind of skills coaches, with the players, but I don't deal with the a head coach and the assistant coaches and the academic advisor and the admin. Um, so I think it's it's much easier to reach the athlete but then you don't have so much time to work with them and, and track changes over time. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's really just, it's night and day. It's a, it's a complete different approach. And really most of the people that I'm working with have come from these, these power five institutions from these high major institutions where they've had access to a, to a sports nutritionist for four years already. So it's, it's often at that point, depending on the guy uh, it's fine tuning things at that point, you know, in college, I felt like a lot of it was teaching for the first time, um, introducing new concepts. And, and, you know, the other part is the resources that are available as well. You know, in college, you can educate and you can tell them what they should, what they should be having at certain times. And there's, you know, we've got training table, we've got grab and go, we've got uh, all of these resources that are available. It makes it really, really easy. And in a performance setting, we have pros at different levels where you may be working with a, an NBA player who makes, five million dollars a year and you might be working with somebody that plays in Romania and makes two thousand dollars a month so the the resources that each of these athletes have 
are very, very different. So my coaching and my recommendations for them have to be different. There is only so much that we can actually provide to them um, without it chipping into their own budget, which is very, very different for each guy. Yeah, certainly uh, an interesting dynamic. Uh, you make a good point there. Just because, just because an athlete is professional doesn't mean that they necessarily make millions and millions of dollars. But um, you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but obviously you have a big basketball background. Uh, how do you feel that's kind of impacted your ability to be effective as a practitioner? Do you feel like it's kind of helped you build that buy-in? Yeah, I I really can't speak to how how valuable that is. It's 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 a piece that that has really really helped me in this setting because it's my comfort zone. You know, it's people can see that as soon as you come in. You know, I'm part of the fabric of the gym. You know, I'm in there. I might be shooting on a hoop in the corner. I might be playing in the, in the five on fives with the guys. Um, so to be able to speak in their language and and be so comfortable around them it makes those, those difficult conversations way easier. Um, you know, to be able to build those real relationships, to be able to talk about players that I've played with in the past that may have gone to college with some of these guys. Um, you know, there's always a, some kind of a connection to be made there. So I find that in my practice, you know, the first thing which, which comes before we talk about any nutrition stuff is always about them as a person, you know, and getting to know them and, and to be able to weave in these pieces of, of, of knowledge that I have about the game, knowledge about them sometimes, um, it really helps to, to kind of break down that initial barrier where, you know, to start with, you know, I'm doing their body comps, you know, we're doing a, a consult, you know, we're, we're taking a, a urine sample and we're doing a USG. It's all, it's all new to them. And, and without, first of all, really trusting me and knowing that I'm, I'm part of their success, knowing that I'm part of, of this, this kind of wider thing, which helps them get to where they need to go. Um, you know, it's just, it's so, so important for them to see that. So, you know, like you had said earlier, I don't think it's, I don't think it's absolutely necessary to have experience in the sport that you work in, but I think that it really, really helps if you do have it, you know, simple things, um, you know, they may have been playing in the, in the tournament and I, maybe I, I remember a play, maybe, like I said, there's a teammate that I've played with that, that they played with, or, you know, knowing about the game, I can speak about not just how these recommendations work in practice or in a study, but, but also how it really impacts your game, how it impacts things on the floor. And really that's what, what our mantra is, is, is how do the things that we do off the floor translate into performance increments? You know, how do they, how do they help you get a little better every single day? Because the guys that we work with are all trying to get to the next level, you know, whether it's the, the high school kids trying to get a college scholarship, if it's the college guys trying to get an MBA job, if it's the, the mid-level MBA guys trying to elongate their careers or go up a level, you know, we have to figure out ways to get them there. So when I'm talking about nutritional recommendations, um, if we're bucketing them, for example, into a leaner maintaining a gain group, how does how does gaining some extra pounds pounds help you at the next level? You know, how does this change from, from the collegiate game to the professional game require additional nutritional attention? How does playing 82 games in a season wear your body down? How does the nutritional recommendations change from that collegiate setting to the NBA setting? So for me to be able to speak in detail about the nuances of how the game changes and then weave in my, my sports nutrition um, coaching, uh, I think it's really, really important um, because at times when you just go straight in with the with the science, it's like, whoa, 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 you know, this 
this isn't my comfort zone. This isn't what I want to hear right now. I just want to know how you're going to get me better and how you're going to make me another million dollars because really that's what it comes down to for a lot of these guys. Yeah, all, all great points. Um, and again, not saying you have to be an ex-professional athlete in your sport to kind of bridge those gaps, but probably certainly helps. But I guess from the flip side of that, just being uh, being able to put yourself out there, like you mentioned, you know, you may be on the court as the guys come in the gym and this has been a recurring theme throughout this podcast. Like, Don't pigeonhole yourself in your office or just show up in the training table or dining facility. Like, put yourself out there. Like, Go and watch yeah. a practice or watch a session. Get an understanding of what the athletes are going through and perhaps the energy demands of that session. How does that then impact your recommendations, what you're doing, what food is in the dining hall? I think there's so much value into just putting yourself out there and being around. Um, again, I might put myself in the court. I, I probably miss every shot. But again, it just breaks down some of those barriers. You know, the guys see you that you're not just the the nutrition nerd or the food police, you know, you can kind of really break some barriers down and you've made some great points about, um, you know, kind of bringing up different guys that they may know or games plays like just those small things can make them see you in a new light and change that relationship. Yeah. And again, you know, when you do have that conversation and you need them to, or they come to you and they're ready to buy in it, it probably lands that whole lot better but that's not going to happen if you're sat yeah. behind a desk in your office waiting for people to knock on the door right i think that it's at every single level you know and this is something that ties across every single setting that i've worked in is is simply being around right and it's something that i think strength coaches do really really well and often something that strength coaches want from nutritionists and for whatever reason, I think sometimes we get dragged in our, in our different directions and siloed sometimes. But simply being present is often the most important thing for an athlete. If you think about every other member of their staff, the athletic trainers are at every lift, they're at every practice. The strength coaches are at every lift, they're at every practice. The coaches are around as well. So my thinking when I first went to University of Georgia was I'm going to be around as much as I possibly can. Because... If a team has a shared goal, every single member of that team, every member of the staff has the same goal. You know, why would, if, if I'm an athlete and I don't see you around as much as me, why would I give you as much energy as I give to the athletic trainer and as much as I give to the strength coach? Because you're not, you're not reciprocating that for me. So if, you, if they don't see a reflection of the effort that they're putting in from us, I don't think that we're going to get the buy-in on the back end, you know? And I think that this ties the entire thing together is simply this this trust has to go both ways. They have to see that I'm making the same sacrifice as they are and that I'm fully invested in their success. And until they see that, you know, you're not going to have them coming up to your office. You're not going to have them stopping you and asking you a question, you know? So at least the first, first couple of weeks, you just got to be around, especially if you're new, you know, engage in conversation, sit at training, you know, when they're, when they're just talking amongst themselves. And then eventually your presence you know, it eases things down and now conversation can start, you can start molding it towards nutrition centered things, towards recovery, towards sleep. And it doesn't feel so awkward because they see you as one of the guys, you know, one of the guys or one of the girls. And instead of being the, the food guy or the food girl, you're now a part of the team, you're a part of the success. So when they make the tournament, they recognize you as a part of that. You know, when they win a game, you're a part of that. Um, so I think that's really, really important. And even in the even in the performance kind of world that I'm in right now, it's the same thing. 
you know, they have to see that I'm there, you know, I'm sacrificing as much as they are. And when they go to a workout of an NBA team, I'm asking them, you know, how did it go when they get back? I'm talking to the staff members of the team and showing that, that their success is, is, is my success as well, you know? And I think that's something that, that we need to really need to hammer home and something that has been super important for me. Yeah, okay. It's, it's all all great points and one that I would definitely encourage anyone listening to this in the field to just, you know, make time to get around those athletes and it will it will pay dividends in the end. So shift gears think, a little bit. Oh, oh go ahead. No, I didn't want to cut you off there. No, that's okay. And I think just to add to that, I think that people, athletes as well, they're really good at figuring out when people are being genuine, you know. So if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, I think people are really good at telling that, you know, and when you're being genuine, I think it makes a big difference. So finding a way to really enjoy being around your athletes, to really care about your athletes. And I know that's a cliche phrase that everybody throws around of really caring about your athletes, but when you don't care, they can feel it, you know, they can really feel it. So finding a way to engage, finding a way to love it, even if it's a sport that you know nothing about, you know, Spend some time watching some highlight videos. Spend some time watching some games um, and just show them that you really, really care. And I think that's the the foundation of all of these things that we're talking about. Yeah, well, we can say they're cliche, but they come up in every conversation or about every podcast to anyone who works on <laughs> performance. So there, there must be something to it. But Exactly. Shifting gears a little bit, um, you did mention in the start, but you do have a new venture that you're taking on. You want to speak about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, I will be a performance nutrition consultant with the with the Sacramento Kings um, this upcoming season, uh, which is really really exciting for me. You know, it's um, it's an opportunity to once again be a part of that that team environment. Um, and I know some of the some of the guys that are up there already, they're people that I've worked with before. Um, so it's it's really really exciting for me. You know, that camaraderie of having that shared goal um, night in night out is something that that I think I've, I've really been craving since I left uh, professional basketball as a player. Um, so it's something that, that I'm really looking forward to and, and something that I'm truly blessed to, to have the opportunity to step into. Yeah, congratulations, mate. That's uh, it's very exciting. Again, I kind of mentioned it before we got online to kind of see, uh, you know, how quickly your career has developed and to have that kind of opportunity present itself is really exciting. And I think a good reminder for the listeners or anyone, I guess, the opportunities do exist outside of your home country. You know, it's pretty, I'm, yeah. I'm guilty of this, you know, we haven't been from the UK. It's pretty easy to kind of point the finger and say, oh, there's no opportunities. There's, you know, we're limited to X, Y, and Z, or these are just consultant roles and not enough hours. But th- there's definitely a lot of opportunities out there. Sometimes, you know, they may not be advertised or posted online, but as you've come out here and kind of establish yourself and um you know built your network and shown yourself to be competent and good at what you do then these opportunities kind of arise so do you have any kind of advice for people maybe seeking career options kind of outside the home country and you know ways they can go about that yeah I i think the the one piece that i always say is you know there's there's always an element of luck here right but you have to put yourself in the best possible situation to be lucky, you know, and if you're, if you're sat at home and, and not trying to network and, and not applying for jobs and not reaching out to people because it's, 
it's this fear of it's not going to happen, then you're not putting yourself in the best position to be lucky. Um, and really, that's been every step along the way in basketball, in, in my sports nutrition career. It's all about putting myself in the best position to be lucky, to take advantage of, of that situation. You know, there's an obstacle. Okay, I need to get a visa. Okay, well, I need to figure out every single possible thing about the visas. So now when, when an employer or a potential employer tells me that that's a problem, I can tell them, that I've done the research. This is how to do it. It's it's figuring out every single possible option um, to make it happen, right? And I think that the like you said, the more the more international um, practitioners that come over here and and do a great job and and get their name out there, I think the easier and easier it's going to become for those following in our footsteps. And I remember um, just going back, you know, a couple of years now when I first reached out to you, Charlie. Um, it was so, so valuable to be able to talk to somebody that has been there and done that. And I think it really comes down to us, us carving our own way. Right. And I think there is, there, there's people that have done it before um, and there's going to be plenty more that do it after, but you know, I'm, I feel very strongly about, about carving out a path for those coming after me. Um, so on that note, if there are any young uh, British practitioners or really any young practitioners that, that are seeking some guidance or just want to, an ear to, to listen to them or want some guidance, then I'm more than happy to help there. Um, but I think the key is, is just, just being relentless, putting yourself in the best position to be lucky, applying for things, you know, um, doing everything you can before you get to that point, you know, getting the relevant qualifications, getting the right degree, gaining some experience. Because, you know, when I was, when I was at Leeds Beckett, there was an opportunity to, you know, you can do your master's degree in sport and exercise nutrition, and you can do the, the major independent study and you can do the seminars um, and that's great, you know, and, and you can get your qualifications, but there's always more that you can do. You know, I was, I was playing professional basketball at the same time as working in a physical therapy clinic or a physiotherapy clinic, as we say back home. Um, and then also working on the applied practice program at Leeds Beckett, where, you know, I was working with Leeds Rhinos rugby, Leeds Carnegie. I was working with Raisa soccer Academy. So it's, it's applying yourself. And I think that the key there is, is really just, you know, making a sacrifice on the front end to benefit on the back end. You know, you can be getting your degrees and figuring out ways to intern, to shadow, to learn from other people, because all of that stuff really ties in at some point. Um, it's all well and good having a piece of paper that, that says you have a degree, that you have the knowledge, but finding ways to apply that as early and as often as possible, I think are really, really important because that first step into a full-time role is where you really realize how different research and practice really is and how important bridging that gap really is um so i know there's a lot of pieces in there twisted and turned around but um those are the things that i think are really really important for those trying to carve their own way and trying to make the step over here yeah and i think they're all great points and you can make relevant to any employee regardless of whether looking at coming from a different country or internally that you know be being proactive on the front end the the worst thing that someone can say is no you know if yeah. that happens, you know, you kind of dust yourself will. down and go again. <laughs> yeah, they will. They will. Trust me, they will. And uh, but I think it does really shine through where when that one lands because this is something you know, being fortunate enough to continue to grow a staff in my current role that it does shine through pretty quick if someone has done those things and has an understanding of kind of what it takes to make that jump and be at the next level instead of, as you mentioned, just kind of got the pieces of paper, um, you know, transition into, into sport and working with athletes is something that they would like to do, but 
you know, maybe don't have sport experience or haven't exposed themselves to true sports nutrition and exercise physiology courses, which I'm not saying you absolutely have to do, but if you truly want to work in sport, again, you, as you said, you yeah. kind of have to carve that path out. Definitely. So I think that one other piece that I've found to be really, really important is, is this, this kind of philosophy of as being as, of, as well-rounded as possible, right? So not just reading in detail about exercise physiology and sports nutrition, but also all of the things that are affecting your athlete. Because if you are only focusing on one aspect of, of life that's affecting your athlete, if you're only looking at nutrition, you're only taking a very small piece of that pie there. So listening to, to podcasts around physical therapy, around strength and conditioning, around sports psychology, uh, reading papers from these relevant journals here, help really in a number of ways. One, you can understand how your interventions can impact the athlete holistically, but then also it helps you to communicate with other people. And when you're working in a multidisciplinary team or an interdisciplinary team, uh, then you can really show these individual practitioners that you care about what they do as well. And now suddenly you don't just get buy-in and you don't focus on buy-in from, from the players. You also get buy-in from the other members of staff here because I've done my research and I understand what you're trying to do here from a physical therapy standpoint. And I understand what we're trying to do here from a strength and conditioning standpoint, from an ex-phys standpoint. And now I'm not only in my silo as a sports nutritionist, but I'm also, you know, going out of my comfort zone, stepping out of the box to, to really care about other people in the team and, and share my knowledge and experience with them and understand to a high enough capacity where what they're telling me makes sense. Yeah, excellent point. And I actually listened to a uh, webinar this morning uh, and James Morton opened up uh, the webinar by saying that the performance nutritionist uh, by kind of utilizing nutrition in that MDT can really make everyone else look better at their job. The strength coach, uh, the sports medicine staff, the PT, uh, even the psychologist. So again, it does touch so many areas. And I think that's important to remember because again, I think we're quick to you know, say, oh, you know, we're siloed or nutrition gets left behind. But having an understand, like, do you understand the training and what the guys are going through? Do you understand how nutrition can best impact the, the injury maybe an athlete has or some of the issues that they're struggling with? Um, you know, there's lots of different avenues there. And I think, yeah. again, kind of having a breadth of knowledge instead of just kind of being this nutrition piece, um, you know, kind of yeah. really pays, pays dividends. I think that's that's a really good point that you just said there is is not just having the depth of knowledge because you're expected to have the depth of knowledge right you are you are the performance nutritionist in that setting if you didn't have a depth of knowledge in in sports nutrition then you should probably not be there the important part then is is this t-shape right of not just being deep but also having the breadth of knowledge as well to understand these different components and i think that we're seeing that more and more um and especially within you know there's there's very different approaches uh, of sports nutrition in, in different places in, in different kind of sectors, but to be able to have the depth and the breadth of knowledge, I think serves everybody really well. Yeah, that's, that's really great stuff, mate. Uh, and you mentioned at the, right at the start of this, the, the different obstacles and, and the barriers to kind of coming out here, obviously, visa is a huge one you know that visa you're not going to get too far uh, finding someone wanting to sponsor <laughs> a visa, you know, we both kind of came out on the same one and we, you know, kind of took off from there. Um, you know, obviously that's one step, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this and kind of bring this up and that's kind of navigating the RD credential. So again, um, you know, obviously the US listener is going to be familiar here. Maybe the UK listener 
is not that kind of sports nutrition, I guess, in the US was kind of really born out of dietetics as opposed to maybe the UK where it was kind of born out of sports science. So yeah, just curious to get your opinions on this. I'm sure this would probably be a whole podcast, but I don't want to, I don't want to open <laughs> too many cans of worms here. Yeah. So I think, I think what I'll do is I'll start by saying that I see huge value in both, both of these camps here. Um, I see huge value in having this, this medical background and I see huge value of understanding the sports science component. And I think that, I think that the issue of, of us internationals trying to come over here is not understanding what the state requirements are, right? And that was one thing that I remember you really helped me out with is understanding that every state has different requirements as far as the, the RD credential goes. So in terms of explaining to, to some of our US listeners here, you know, the SCNR is one of the kind of governing bodies that is under the British Dietetic Association. So Ultimately, that's kind of our pinnacle of, of credentials for a sports nutritionist. That's the equivalent of a, of a CSSD. Um, so once you've achieved that, um, that generally means you've got to a pretty good place in terms of your education and your, your experience. So one of the most disheartening things is when you've got to that level and you apply for jobs and you're told that you don't have the right credentials, um, it can be it can be pretty disheartening you know um and often there's there's a lot of of conversations which have to happen there there's a lot of persuading which have happened in the past when i've applied for jobs and they've you know the hiring managers have been um maybe unfamiliar with what the senr is or or the relationship between the senr and, and the british dietetic association and even after explaining um i think that it's just so foreign the, the situations are so different that it is something that I believe as a practitioner, you have to really understand, you know, you can't, you can't put it on the hiring manager to understand this, this foreign framework of, of qualifications and accreditations. So I think that really what, what we can do as internationals is, is know how to navigate that by one, understanding the state requirements and what is legally allowed because people's hands will be tied. If it's not legally allowed in that state, it will be very difficult to, to take a job as a, as a performance nutrition practitioner in any setting there. So understanding the state requirements and then also understanding um, or at least being able to explain how those skills and experience can translate. Um, and that was why I was, I was really kind of keen on, on giving the props to Jana and, and the University of Georgia's Athletic Association there because, you know, they really did take a chance and, and they believed in, in the knowledge and experience that had been accrued um, through my degrees and through that accreditation there. And I think that it's just, it's just being able to explain them and knowing that in full detail yourself to be able to persuade that hiring manager to take a chance on you, you know? Um, and it's, and it's really just, you know, it's, it's something that probably will change over time, you know, as more and more people come over to the States uh, and more and more practitioners and hiring managers here, hear of the SENR and hear of the British Dietetic Association and more of us do a good job and more of us move on and gain more and more senior positions, um, I think that we'll begin to see some change here. But again, it's just like you said, it's just it's as simple as being born out of different camps here. And there's a very, very good reason that, that the RD is so important here because there are a number of different avenues which lead to people calling themselves a nutritionist or a sports nutritionist. Um, so there definitely need to be these things in place to make sure that we're letting the right people in. Um, it's just something that is is still fairly new that we have to navigate and really know your stuff about to get your foot in the door. Yeah, I think you sum, summarized that brilliantly. You know, it's 
again, being aware and having a good understanding. It's knowing when a situation arises that is beyond your scope of practice and you refer that to a different individual. And again, I, I, I was speaking to pretty well-renowned uh, sports dietitian here in the US. You know, I'm not going to disclose the name, but a, a few days ago, and, you know, even they're referring now, you know, you can't be, I'm sure there's some that's an expert in every scenario, situation, sports, um, you know, every kind of M and T scenario, which, you know, may ever arise, but, you know, it's hard to do it all. And, you know, kind of wearing those different hats and having different individuals that you can refer to and make sure individuals get the best level of care. But at the end of the day, we're coming to this from a performance nutrition lens where we are, you know, typically largely working with, high achieving healthy individuals so yeah i yeah I, I don't want to get down a rabbit hole i think you summarized that brilliantly um and i think it's you know valuable for the listener to hear uh again you know that i firmly believe you know the scnr credential was kind of uh, accreditation was kind of what got me my current role and uh you know it's continued to bring me some great opportunities and connections with some individuals who you know i think all of us would agree are kind of world world leaders and experts in the field so yep. yeah nicely done but wary of time here um you know don't want to eat up too much your evening but this kind of final question there's kind of a recurring theme for me in the first season and i think i'm going to stick with it um and that's just speaking about how do you as an individual who you know, has a wife and a dog at home, how do you try and strike, you know, work-life balance in your current role? And maybe how will you look to do that taking on your new role also? Yeah, I think, I think the key there is, is, is figuring out where, where this lies with what I said previously, right? Because we have to be able to show that we are sacrificing as much as our athletes um, for them to be able to succeed. But then we also need for our own kind of well-being this this work-life balance. So I think it's a fine line that I think people teeter on and, and some people do great and other situations don't allow you to. Um, I've been really, really lucky uh, in both of my positions in the States where I've had tremendous work-life balance, you know. Um, I'm out of the gym. I'm usually at home by, by 5 p.m. every day. And I, I don't tend to to get in too early in the morning. You know, I have enough time to eat breakfast with my wife. I have enough time to, to walk the dog before I get there. So I think a lot of it is, is managing expectations, um, creating those real relationships so people feel valued when you are at work and then figuring out ways to, to again, set those boundaries when you are at home and, and prioritize. You know, sometimes they, I get a phone call at 9 p.m. at night and it's something that I have to deal with and there is, there is no way around that. But then, you know, it's creating those relationships with your colleagues where they know that if it's 9 p.m. at night and it's not really, really important, they're not going to call you, you know. Um, so I'm really lucky where I have a really nice example of how good this industry can be. But I'm also aware that there's a lot of situations that don't allow that, you know, so I'm very, very grateful. Um, so there is an element of, of setting expectations for yourself, of setting boundaries, but then it's also if there is a, a job that tells you this is what's required of you, it's a difficult decision that I have to make at that point. How badly do I want the job versus how badly do I want work-life balance? And as we start talking about NBA jobs, famously, um, are very difficult for, for managing that. And that's simply because the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high that they need every single member of the team, whether that's a player, a coach, an athletic trainer, the equipment guy, the travel coordinator, whoever it is needs to be 
needs to be locked in and needs to be available. So um, I think that it's, it's not necessarily a one size fits all approach, but I think that in our own way, in all of our situations, um, there are ways to, to make it better. Um, do you have, do you have uh, anything you want to chime in on there? Any, any previous experiences from yourself? Yeah, I think the managing expectations point is is really nice. Uh, we actually had a new employee start the end of last week, uh, and I spoke to kind of the coaches for the team she's working with today, just kind of casually uh, in passing and just reminding them of the expectations that individual, you know, that hourly part-time role, just, uh, you know, letting them know up front uh, not abuse it uh, and kind of not take advantage of it. But I guess pretty similar to you, honestly, that I have a pretty good situation as far as the collegiate setting goes, much like yourself. I'm, I can be home at four or five every day, depending on how efficient I am with my time and kind of what I'm doing in the office. And if I'm not hanging out and, and BSing around, which happens quite often. Um, so I, I guess with that, just letting people know that roles do exist in the field that are not 14, 15 hour days all day, every day. Now, some places yeah. they're going to be, that's the expectation. But reminding people that other opportunities do exist. I think sometimes people get so bogged down that they can't kind of see the light in that and remove themselves from the environment entirely instead of maybe seeking out a scenario where maybe, you know, there, there is a little bit more balance. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. So I think sometimes we're negative, and I've been guilty of this, of being like, well, you know, a lot of hours, it's a lot of time, um, you know, People don't have a lot of balance, but that, that being said, there are roles out there and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you kind of get an ill feeling for it or it's not exactly what you're looking for, you know, you don't, you don't have to take the job uh, and you know how the, the market is here in the US that jobs seem to come open every few days. There's plenty <laughs> of opportunities out there. Uh, a lot of them posted, a lot of them, you know, kind of word of mouth or through different individuals. So, um, yeah. you know, you could definitely try and seek a situation that fits you a little bit better. But yeah, I think yeah. you made a great point. And just managing their expectations and understanding that some of those smaller things or yes, at times you, you need to be all in and do it. No one is above doing it, but no, if you continuously commit to doing that, that that's, that then becomes an <laughs> expectation and that's going to be expected all the time. I think that, I think that a lot of it comes down to, to us having more power than we realize we do. If you think about it from the coach's standpoint, if I'm a head coach and the nutritionist is there before I get there, they place a smoothie in my players' hands. They give them a sandwich. They're there when we leave then I'm not going to complain as the coach, right? I'm getting every single thing that I need from this. And a lot of it is us trying to justify our position and showing our value. So I guess it's, it's figuring out how do you show your value in other ways? Because if a coach sees that the value that you bring to the table is being around for 15 hours and providing shakes and providing sandwiches, which there is a time and a place for, but if that is your primary value, then I'm not going to challenge that. However, if you set the boundaries and, and really show how valuable you can be in that shorter period of time, you know, there's education, there is building relationships with my players, you know, getting buy-in on that end, um, caring about them and, and showing that, that you can be more than just the food guy or the food girl. Um, I think that we have a lot more power in that than we realize. And a lot of it is, is one kind of empowering ourselves to do that and two, really empowering others that are coming underneath us 
um, to realize what this job can be, you know, and it's, it's such an amazing job for all of us working in sports, you know, to be around these athletes, to help them on their pathway to the next level. Um, but we've got to think about ourselves sometimes as well and think about, are we really using our time effectively? Because if you set that standard, it's not sustainable, you know, it's not sustainable for a long time and it's, and it's not enjoyable. Um, so it's a difficult thing to face that and to, to set those boundaries with the coaching staff. But often I find myself stepping back and thinking of it from the coach's perspective, you know, and if, if you're not showing that you're valuable to the team and not showing that you're an integral part of my success, you may as well just be there making smoothies and handing out sandwiches because I'm not seeing the value from another aspect, you know? So a lot of times I try and put myself in the coaches and the admin's shoes um, to see, you know, what am I really getting here from our sports nutritionist? I think that's a fantastic place to leave it, mate. Thank you. Um, ton of value here. If anyone wants to get in contact with you, reach out to you, has any questions, uh, how can they reach you? So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a little hit and miss on, on social media at the moment, just being, being crazy busy. But uh, my Twitter is just my name in full, Isaac Moria. Um, that's I-S-A-A-C-M-O-U-R-I-E-R. And then my Instagram is I am performance nutrition. Um, and there, you know, I'll, I'll share some, some, you know, research articles here and there, some infographics, some educational pieces. Um, and as the year kind of goes by, I'm sure I'll, I'll hit my stride again and start posting some useful stuff. Uh, but like I said earlier, um, I really do want to be be more of a of a mentor for people coming up and and provide any guidance that I can be. So so if you're listening here and and you would like to to ask me some questions um, or gain some insight into anything we've spoken about here, then then please do reach out. Fantastic, Isaac. Thank you. Appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate. It.